Hi, I'm Ashley. I'm Jen. And I'm Sarah. And we are Unabridged, the podcast where teachers take on books. Join us each week for bookish episodes and check out our website, unabridgedpod.com, where you can find lots of new bookish content every week. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at unabridgedpod and message us there or see our website to get plugged into the unabridged community. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our March Book Club episode. We are going to be discussing Jenny Lawson's Furiously Happy. Before we do that, we wanted to let you know that we are currently doing a listener survey. You can access that at bit.ly slash unabridged survey, or it is also linked on our website. We would love to get your feedback to know what you love and some of the things that you might not like as much for the content that we are putting out so we can tailor what we're doing to what you like to listen to. So now I think we will go ahead and get on to our bookish check-in. Jen, what are you reading today? So I am reading a book with Totally Teen Buddy Read on Instagram, and this is Jasper Sanchez's The Unpopular Vote. This is a YA read that I'm just absolutely loving. So it is about a teenager named Mark who had a lot of upheaval in his life, his junior year, he is trans. And as he was transitioning, his dad, who is a politician, basically did not accept his gender identity at all and refused to call him by his new name and was really worried that if the news got out that Mark was transitioning, that it would ruin his political career. So Mark and his mom moved to a new town and he starts going to a new school called Utopia High School. (laughs) And I'm sure you can all guess that it is not a utopia. So Mark at first is really happy there. He's in the IB program. He makes a lot of friends. He, there is a gay straight alliance at his school but he finds that it more pays lip service. Basically everyone in the club is straight and they are paying lip service to being allies because they think it will look good on college applications. So Mark and his friends all have this unofficial French club. I'm I'm doing air quotes here (laughs) and they gather together. So one of his friends is asexual. Two of the girls in the club are lesbians. There's just this whole array of identities in the club and they just really support each other. And it's awesome. They love each other very much. So one day, I promise this is all at the very beginning. It's not spoilery. One day after club, he is going back to class or school. I can't remember exactly. And one of the boys, he hears one of the boys, Benji, and he is being bullied relentlessly by this trio of football players who are calling him every gay slur that you can think of. And they have him pushed up against a wall and it's not technically violent, but it's definitely very threatening. And Mark hears it and goes to start to help. And at that moment, Benji punches the football player who is sort of leading what's happening. Well, what happens is because the school has a zero violence policy, Benji is given a choice. He can either be suspended or he can apologize. And if he apologizes, the punishment will go away. But there is absolutely nothing being done to the kids who are bullying him. 
And Mark, who has been raised in a household that believes in public service and in the power of elected officials to make a difference, is inspired to try to make a change, especially because one of the boys who is bullying Benji is running for president of their student body. Mm. So Mark makes a threat and then realizes what he should do is he should also run. And so that basically kicks off the rest of the book where Mark is trying to figure out how to be supportive, how to try to make a difference with a position that we all know doesn't really have any power, how to try to support Benji. It gets really complicated, I will say, because he realizes at one point he never asked Benji if he wanted him to support him in this way. So it's it's really a sensitive book about the best way to support people, the best way to bring about change. And I am just loving it. I'm listening to the audio and it is fabulous on audio. I think there's going to be a lot of great content for discussion. It felt like a really good read for right now, I will say. So that is Jasper Sanchez's The Unpopular Vote. I think you both would really enjoy it. Ashley, what are you reading? So one of the things I'm reading right now is Robin Sloan's Mr. Penumbra's 24-Hour Bookstore. I have been trying to find the right kind of book to read right now. So sometimes things I normally find comforting haven't really worked for me. So like romances have not been as successful as sometimes in the past. And so I was just kind of stumbling through my Kindle and saw that one. And I didn't know much about it. Actually, I'd heard, you know, people liked it. But when I started it, it, it's a good fit for me right now. So it is set in this mysterious old bookstore. And Clay Jannon is a clerk there. And as the title suggests, the bookstore is owned by Mr. Penumbra. And it is open 24 hours a day. And why Clay finds all this really bizarre is because they only have this tiny, tiny little section of popular books in the very front of the store. And people very rarely come in to purchase them. But there are tons of shelves that go way, way, way back. And the shelves are super, super tall into the ceiling. There's these rickety old ladders that he has to climb up to get them. And all of the books are these mysterious, oddly sized, coded books. So the titles are all nonsensical, seemingly. And the people who come to read them are checking them out. They don't purchase them. They will come Clay will have to find his way onto this complex labyrinth of books to find the right title, and then he will deliver it to the person. The person will go away for a period of time, will bring that book back, and then we'll have another book seemingly in a sequence that he can that Clay cannot understand that the person's ready to check out. So he has this kind of vague feeling that they're coded and that people are breaking the codes. And then when they do that, they're able to read the next book. And yet he has no idea how the bookstore is in business because again, it's open 24 hours a day. They're selling not even double digits worth of purchases a day. There's no, there's virtually no income coming in. And then there's him, another clerk and Mr. Penumbra is the third. And they divide it up into these eight hour shifts. Clay works through the night people mysteriously appear and disappear with these bizarre books. And then Mr. Penumbra comes in in the morning and they switch shifts. And he also has this log where he has to document exactly what happens every day. And so as these people come in, he is having to write down, you know, their appearance and what they checked out and what they 
returned and all that kind of stuff. So it's all very fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) And I was certainly intrigued very quickly. And then meanwhile, he gets to know Kat, this fascinating and exuberant girl who works at Google. And so you have this like really old style bookstore and then the contrast of her working in the Google space, which is all digital. And there's a lot of opposition happening between the two locations. And also he's just trying to be a young person. He wants to like go to parties and stuff, but he can't do that because he always works that night shift every single day. And so he's always occupied in the evening at the time that people would normally go out. And so like he's navigating that stuff too. But I mean, I think that Right away, what fascinated me, and I don't want to say more because I don't want to give anything away, but it is just this like really mysterious setup. And of course, as the reader, you want to know what on earth is happening with these people (laughs) and what is in those books. And I still have a little ways to go, but I am very intrigued by what we learn about Mr. Penumbra and all the other people who are reading those books and kind of where that goes. So yeah, I am absolutely loving it. I've been really captivated by the story and it's not like super fast moving, but I think that it's really compelling and I love the characters in it. I love Mr. Penumbra. I really like Clay, the main character. And then I like his friend. So there's Kat and he has another friend who he's had since childhood who it wound up being extremely wealthy because of this app that designs breasts. And um, and so he has this like really effective kind of avatar <laughs> presence that, that made him really wealthy. And so all of that comes together in really interesting ways. So I just love the main characters in it and love the setting of that just really kind of magical bookstore atmosphere. And yes, it's been great so far. That's Robin Sloan's Mr. Penumbra's 24-Hour Bookstore. I read that a few years ago and really thought it was really interesting and quirky, and I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I've read Sourdough by the same author, and that it was that same kind of like reality adjacent, but very strange <laughs> kind of world building. Yeah. That's what, when you said quirky, I was like, that's a good word for it. It's definitely quirky. <laughs> Did you read Sourdough, Sarah? I did not. I always oh, thought I that I should had. read it, but mm-hmm. I have not read it yet. Yeah. And I didn't realize they overlapped, Jen, until you said that. And I was like, oh, it is the same author. Like, I didn't think about that connection until you had mentioned it mm-hmm. earlier. And I was like, oh, yeah, that that would be interesting to see the overlap there. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Sarah? What are you reading? So I am reading, this is kind of funny. So I'd gone through and weeded out my books and then I always let my mom and Jen or Ashley or my sister have first dibs on my weeded book. So my mom took this book and read it. And she was like, oh my gosh, I think you need to read this. So then she gave it back to me. So I'm now <laughs> reading it. <laughs> and, that, and that is Not That I Could Tell by Jessica Strasser. So it starts with this group of women that live in a cul-de-sac. And they one Saturday night, they all get together for like a wine night by the fire and they talk and share and all of this. And then the following day, one of them, it appears, has like cleared out her house, taken her kids and disappeared without a trace, telling no one, including her soon to be ex-husband. And then I guess what ensues is all of these women trying to examine that night because it's a little fuzzy because of the wine and they had shared so much and they're, they're contemplating whether 
Kristen, who is the the woman who disappears, if she said anything during that time that would indicate that she was unhappy. And then there are all these little twists that make it so that Kristen possibly might have had a motive to leave because she was in the she was getting ready to be divorced and she had been married previously. Her husband had passed away and she had this life insurance money that she brought into the marriage that was in the millions. And her twins were infants when she entered into the marriage with her current husband. So there's all this speculation about whether he was trying during the divorce was going to try to get this money and all of that. But I mean, it just is really this woven story about these women who live on the cul-de-sac and what their past experiences, how that colors, how they see the disappearance of their friend. And it's really interesting. I was just telling Jed and Ashley before we started recording that my actual reading, like an actual book has not been very fast late of late, but I really enjoy it. And I really do want to know how it turns out. So I will let you know how, what I feel about the book when I'm finished. I'm about halfway through, but it is very interesting. It's a mystery, which I like, but it's also this examination of relationships between women and neighbors. And I really like that. So I'm enjoying it so far. And that is not that I could tell by Jessica Strasser. Yeah. I really enjoy that one too. I think because of that, those shifting lenses and the, the different points of view. That was my favorite thing. And everyone is unreliable. It's yes. just a little bit in their own way. And yeah. So I'll be excited to see how that everything shakes out. All right. Well, I think that we are going to go ahead to our main discussion, which again is our book club discussion on Jenny Lawson's Furiously Happy. Before we get started, God help us all. I'm going to read a synopsis from the publisher. We all know how that goes if you've been listening for a while, but I am going to try to read this. And But we felt like we it was hard to summarize someone's memoir, so we are just going to read the actual synopsis from the publisher. Infuriously Happy, a humor memoir tinged with just enough tragedy and pathos to make it worthwhile, Jenny Lawson examines her own experience with severe depression and a host of other conditions and explains how it has led her to live life to the fullest. Quote, I've often thought that people with severe depression have developed such a well for experiencing extreme emotion that they might be able to experience extreme joy in a way that normal people also might never understand. And that's what Furiously Happy is all about, end quote. So first, we're going to start with our overall impressions. Ashley, what was your overall impression of this one? I really enjoyed this one. I said with Mr. Penumbra's 24-hour bookstore that I am definitely, I'm really distracted right now. So it's hard for me to engage in reading because I have a lot going on in my life. But I also really enjoy the comfort that comes from reading. So I felt like I wasn't quite as attached to this as when I did when I read listened to Broken which I've shared before on the podcast that I absolutely loved that I still found that Broken was more impactful. I always feel bad when we've read multiple things by an author. It's hard not to compare. But if I were an author, I would be so frustrated that all the <laughs> readers out there felt this need to like rank my books. So I'm trying not to do that. But I do feel like I wasn't quite as engaged in this one. And I don't know if that's because of kind of where I am in my life right now. But I did feel that it had all the hallmarks that I love in her writing, which are the absolute humor. <laughs> 
an absurdity. I mean, she's really great at examining just the absurdity of life. And I loved all of that. And I laughed out loud a lot, which was really great. And I felt like, you know, she makes so many insightful points and shares so many really important things, but also does it through this really, you know, just absurd hilarious taxidermied animal approach that (laughs) is just awesome. So yeah, overall, I really liked it. Jen, what were your overall impressions? Yeah, I loved it too. So I was not, I really wanted to listen to this on audio because I so enjoyed that for Broken and I was not able to get the audio at first. So I read the ebook and at first I was a little worried because I thought, is it going to work without her, her words in my ear? And it was great in print, but then the audio came in. So I was like, I'll just save this. And so I did listen to this just before, like just this past, the end of this past week. And I liked both versions. I love the way her brain works. And I love the way she is able to put the way her brain works on the page. And the the weird connections she makes in the book make complete sense when you start where she does and go on the path that she does. And so, yeah, I was laughing out loud too, both in the print and the audio. I was working in my classroom one day, moving books around and I was like, oh, I'll listen to a little bit of Jenny Lawson. And I was cracking up in my empty classroom, which (laughs) probably seemed very strange if anyone can hear me, but she is such a talented writer. And I think she does such a great job of capturing both her highs and her lows that I just really appreciate her willingness to make herself vulnerable and to communicate all of that. So yeah, I really loved it. How about you, Sarah? I also really enjoyed it. I, unlike Jen and Ashley, I hadn't read Broken. So this was my first experience with Jenny Lawson. And I also listened to the audio. And I thought that she was very refreshing. I really appreciate how she talks about mental health issues very candidly and unapologetically. And I, so I really enjoyed that. And I thought that some of her stories, I just, my favorite stories were the ones where she talked about growing up in her household and her dad and her, the relationships <laughs> between her and her dad, which seems super loving, but also that he has got, he kind of marches to the beat of his own drummer as well. And I just really enjoyed those stories about the animals. And I just really thought it was funny and interesting and also very poignant at times. So mm-hmm. I really appreciated all that. So I also enjoyed it. All right. So I think that we did cover a little bit about what worked for us in our overall impressions, but can everybody give me just something specific that worked for you in this book? Jen, what is one thing that worked for you? I really like the way she talks about her relationship with her husband, Victor. (laughs) And I think number one, they are very different people. And she makes that abundantly clear. From the beginning, (laughs) but I think you get a sense of just how much they love each other and how much they are there to support each other and that they have these bizarre fights about very strange things. And clearly their life philosophies and entire personalities are different. So he's this entrepreneur who is constantly busy and she describes him as being very type A and she is not type A. (laughs) She's, I don't know what the other type is, type F type G. I don't know how far down the alphabet you need to go, but she is just very content with who she is when she's at a high point and content with their differences. And one of my favorite parts was when they decided she finally convinced him to go to therapy, couples therapy. (laughs) And 
the therapist wanted to see them differently and he goes first <laughs> and then she's like convinced that he's sabotaging what the therapist is going to think of them. So she, yeah. So she just goes in with this laundry list anyway. And the therapist says it's clear that he adores you. And I think that comes through the entire book. So I just really love the insights into their relationship and the way that he supports her when she's having a an episode of depression or when she's going to self-harming and he understands her so well, but helps her get through that. So I really, that that's one of my favorite parts about both books actually, because we get that in broken too. But I did think in this one, you see even more about their relationship. I loved how, she, I mean, he just takes in stride, like having an, <laughs> a taxidermy bear in his bed and all that. And I like, I just can't imagine waking up and like staring at taxidermy to bear in the face. In my bed. He, he just takes it in stride. The zoom calls when she would put the raccoon. Oh my gosh. And I love the part when she was trying to get the, what was it? Three quarters of, no, a quarter of a giraffe. How much of the giraffe she was trying to get to be their lamppost. <laughs> Anyway, sorry. I feel like my favorite part of that was toward the end when she asked him if his life would be easier. And he said easier, but not better. Oh my God. And I just think, I think that's such a comforting thing. I thought it was really sweet that she shared it, but it's also really comforting to all of us in relationships to remember that that is probably true for most people Mm -hmm. that it is maybe easier to not be in these relationships that are really complicated Mm -hmm. and that where everyone goes through hard times and then. You're burdening other people with your hard time. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really comforting to be like, that doesn't mean it's better. Right? Yeah. I thought it was really beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought, like you said, Jen, we had all these moments leading up to that mm-hmm. to see how true that was and how we saw that through her experiences with him and how she shared those in the book. But then that was such a meaningful message to have in there. And I think important, again, in, in alignment with what she wants to share about mental health and how people who go through it how they can be supported by other people. Yeah. Well, and that he didn't just give this facile answer. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That he really thought about it. And I I think that comes through that they respond to each other in thoughtful ways when they're having a serious moment. (laughs) Not that they all are. (laughs) (laughs) Ashley, what was one thing that worked for you? I have one tiny thing I wanted to comment on, and then I will share kind of my bigger thing. But one that I just loved in the audiobook was the comment from Neil Gaiman about the reading. And she just shared, it was shocking to me because I've listened to her on audio multiple times, but she shared how hard it was for her to read the audio and how she was really struggling and how Neil Gaiman, who is her friend, said, pretend you're good at it. And how she came back out and got herself together. And the, the, the people who were in the recording room were like, I don't know what she did, but keep doing it. So, but I just love that little moment of her. Again, I, th- I think we get to see behind the curtain with Jenny Lawson. And that's why people love her so much is that she's so willing to admit the most vulnerable things. And I think we as readers and as people need that, but it's hard to do that. It's hard to be that person ourselves. It's hard to get to that level of trust with other people. But anyway, I love that little moment there. But the thing I wanted to share, something that really worked for me, and I think you see this a lot, but it stood out to me in that moment with the snow in New York, is how she talks about how she's come to appreciate that with mental illness, you can also be gifted with these really magical moments. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was really beautiful. I think her messaging, and again, I think you see it several times, but when she has that moment with the snow and her foot is bleeding and she takes off her shoes and she's walking the snow. So yes, that is a little unusual, 
sight for people, but it also was this awareness of how she's living life to the fullest and she's experiencing that adamant desire to be happy and to grasp all parts. And I think when you're going through hard times, it's really comforting to remember that there's just these really magical parts too, and that we can celebrate those while also recognizing the suffering. Oh my gosh. I love that moment when she looks back and she sees her two footprints and one is quote normal and the other is misshapen. And she talks about how those are the two parts of herself and just, you know, she deals with a lot of physical issue, physical health issues as well. And just the way those are impacting her everyday life. And yet she went out in the snow in her bare feet, like you said, with her foot bleeding, just because she knew she needed to do that. And then it was this beautiful, beautiful metaphor for who she is. I love that. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. It's a great one. What about you, Sarah? What's something that worked for you? I, because like I said, this was my first experience reading Jenny Lawson. So I really enjoyed the way that she would anchor her essay and then go like all the places and then still bring it back to that anchor. I had not, have not experienced that before because sometimes I, when I was listening, I would be like, are we still in the same chapter? (laughs) What is happening? But, but it was amazing to me how she could like spin this story, like all over the place and all these different pieces and then still bring it back to the beginning. And then also, so like, that was my main, like, just, I really enjoyed that. And had can I just ex- say when she said, would say then see full circle, like without, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that was just so great. And I had not experienced that before as a reader, like reading a memoir, I really enjoyed that. And then I also just really enjoyed the stories from her trip to Australia, especially with the koalas and her wearing the koala costume and just all of that. And like how some of it just did not meet her expectations at all, but that she still told these stories with this amazing humor. I just really loved that section of the, of the book. I thought that yeah. was really awesome. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. I loved everything she shared about travel. And yeah. I think yeah. just kind of that idea that we all think it's really romantic and amazing and we should all love it and that not everyone loves it. And that there's a lot of reasons for that and how she powers through and does some really remarkable things anyway, but how she also has to embrace that sometimes it is okay to stay in the hotel room and it is okay to do, to listen to herself and to do the things she needs to do to be as healthy as she can be. I thought mm-hmm. all that was really yeah. cool too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I think we are now going to all share a quote that we really that stood out to us in the book. And I felt like I told Ashley and Jen also before we started that I love so many quotes, but a lot of them had a lot of swear words in them. So, <laughs> so I picked one with no swear words. And we're going to share one because there were this is a very quotable book, I think. So, um, Jen, what is your quote? So I had several very long ones. I chose a moderately long one today (laughs) to share with you. So this is, if everything is perfect and I'm miserable, then is this as good as it gets? And the answer is no, it gets better. You get better. You learn to appreciate the fact that what drives you is very different from what you're told should make you happy. You learn that it's okay to prefer your personal idea of heaven, live tweeting zombie movies from under a blanket of kittens, (laughs) rather than someone else's idea that fame, fortune, parties are the pinnacle we should all reach for. And there's something surprisingly freeing about that. And that just spoke to me. Oh my goodness. On so many levels, I think there's a hopefulness that pervades her work that I really appreciate because she does go through so many lows and so many challenges 
And yet her ultimate message is one of hope. And I think she talks a lot about social media. And I think she does that in a great way and focuses, tries to focus on the ways that it can be supportive. But she also does confront that comparison idea and the idea that we are constantly comparing ourselves to someone else. And so I think that part where she says it's okay to prefer your personal idea of heaven really spoke to me because you all know by now I'm very introverted and I'm not adventurous. And so sometimes I just think, you know, I'm on social media and I see people doing amazing things and I'm like, oh my gosh, I would be miserable in that situation. And that's okay to acknowledge who I am and who, what makes me happy and who I want to be. So I just love that quotation. Ashley, what is your quote? So I chose a surprisingly short one this time, (laughs) but this one just, I think is at the core of what Jenny Lawson's message is. And it is, we all suffer when mental illness is not taken seriously. And I just feel like she, in everything she writes and in every time she stands up in front of people, what she is doing is saying, this is real. And we can laugh and we can have fun together. And yet that's not going to stop what happens as far as her depression, as far as her suffering. And I think people need to see that and need to recognize how important it is and how important it is for all of us. And I just love that message of like, we all suffer. I mean, the people who are fortunate to not have it for themselves and their loved ones still suffer when we do not take it seriously and do not recognize that it is just as important as every other aspect of health. And so I loved that. We could have long discussions about all of the stigmas, all of the reluctance to talk about it, all of the silence, all of the self-censorship that comes when with mental health. And I just love how she's breaking down every bit of that. And I think she's so brave and I think she is powerful. And I think that she is doing such important work every time she writes something and every time she shares. So, so yeah, that one's short and sweet, but I think, you know, at the core of her message. Yes. I love that too. Oh my gosh. That part where she was talking about how people react when your medication doesn't work and that that's a sign that you didn't actually need it in the first place. And she has that. It's a quite long section, but I thought that was so powerful and just, yeah, the ways we diminish mental health is something that is a choice. And then she has all these great comparisons to clarify exactly what that means and what that feels like. Yeah. So so great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Sarah? What's your quote? So my quote is, don't make the same mistakes that everyone else makes. Make wonderful mistakes. Make the kind of mistakes that make people so shocked that they have no other choice but to be a little impressed. And I just really felt that that was (laughs) a lot of what she does, you know, that what she Mm -hmm. like um, advocates for, like she just kind of goes for it. I think a lot of times and, and she is okay with making mistakes. And I found that really refreshing. And I thought this quote was amazing because I think a lot of people just get kind of stuck in the same things. And if you don't, you can make a mistake, but if you don't take a risk, then how's your life going to, you know, be full. And I feel Mm -hmm. like, yeah. And I think that she, I think this is just a beautiful way to encapsulate that message that she's trying to send there. So I really love that. I agree. I really, yeah. That's a good one. (laughs) All right. So now we are each going to share a pairing for this book. Jen, do you want to share your pairing? Sure. So I, I was really trying to pick a book that struck sort of the balance between humor and serious content the way this one did. And I chose Lindy West's Shrill. 
And I find that she does that equally well. So the issues West is dealing with are different ones. And Shrill, she's talking a lot about the place of a woman in social media, the way women are treated, the way she has dealt with trolls who just do horrible things to her because some of it, because of her appearance, she talks a lot about what it means to be fat. And she uses that term and especially someone who is in the public eye and has to face people's judgment. And she also does talk a lot just about feminism and about the misogyny that often appears in the modern world. And yet she also has this great humor that just appears throughout that book. And I listened to that one as well and thought it was great on audio. West reads her in audio books. So yeah, I think if you're looking for something that hits a similar tone of dealing with highs and lows and just being really honest and vulnerable, then Lindy West's Shrill is a great book. I really enjoyed that one. And I thought it's funny that you picked that as your pairing, Jen, because when I was reading Jenny Lawson, I thought of Lindy West a lot. So, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Yes. Ashley, what is your choice? So the one I wanted to share, the style is very different. This is actually a comic book style, but I think that the content is very similar, both in tone and in the topics discussed. This is Allie Brosh's Hyperbole and a Half, Unfortunate Situations, Flawed Coping Mechanisms, Mayhem, and Other Things That Happened. (laughs) (laughs) And she has... I love Allie Brosh. She is one kind of, I mean, kind of like Jenny Lawson has a bit of a cult following. Allie Brosh has that too. And she also has extreme anxiety, extreme depression. She struggles to, she will go years without any social media contacts because she just gets oversaturated. And then it takes her a long time to kind of come back to an ability to kind of manage all of that. And I think both of them also deal with the fact that they're wildly popular. So they have all these mental health struggles, but then they also have to navigate. I mean, John Green comes to my mind a lot for this Mm -hmm. too, that like all three of them are people who I admire so much, but also who have that complex relationship of being willing to share these really hard issues in a public way. But then that opens the doorway to then this like floodgate of people that they want to support, but also have to navigate. So Ali Brosh definitely does that, but she does have a second work that came out on um, solutions and other problems. And it's also great, but hyperbole and a half was her original comic strip. It used to be a web comic and she put it as a collection that was published. It's beautiful and hilarious. And she does this really crude drawing that looks very um, simplistic and kind of like a five-year-old would do it, you know, but she has this, but it's really beautiful. It's, it's stylized, it's beautiful. And it is a really great way of telling the story through her art. So she's also a great writer and there are, it's like comic essays. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it moves through her narrative, but then she has the illustrations all the way through too. And I've just been a long time fan of hers. I think that her, way of seeing the world is brilliant and unique and that she is able to share about really hard things in a really funny and insightful way. And certainly that reminds me of Jenny Lawson. And so, yeah, I love her stuff. I think that if you are interested in reading more about mental health and exploring what that's like and, and, you know, ways to, I mean, exactly what she says, flawed coping mechanisms, mayhem and unfortunate situations. I mean, I think that she does all of that. So it's all really funny, but also serious, you know, serious. It's taking on some really serious things. And 
I really admire her and I love her stuff. So again, that's Allie Brosh's Hyperbole and a Half. And it is a collection that you can that you can purchase. It's such a great comparison. I have still have not read any of hers. And I every time oh. we talk about it, I really want to read it. <laughs> yeah, Sarah, uh, you you'll have to borrow it. my copy. Yeah. Yeah. You would, yeah. Yes, I definitely want to. Yeah, she's great. And she's one you definitely want to read the print, you know, because it's just like, it's so much fun to see the illustrations and stuff. And so I think it is a lot of overlap, but then you really get this very different form that's really mm-hmm. fun. Yeah, but I, I've been very interested in reading those. So Sarah, what's your pairing? I am going to go for one that I read a while back, which I absolutely loved. It is R. Eric Thomas's Here For It or How to Save Your Soul in America. And I felt like there are a lot of similarities to Lawson's book because it is both hysterical and very heartfelt. Uh, He talks a lot about feeling like an outsider or like other in his life from childhood on up. He has always felt kind of on the outskirts of the group, but he talks about it in a very, very hysterical way. And I, I mean, I am always checking to make sure that I have not missed that he has put out another book because I also listened to this one on audio and he is a very talented narrator and he just brings so much to these essays. So this book is also told through essays and it has a narrative flow to it, but but it is like standalone. So you can get you can dip in and out of it because he completes a story with each chapter. And he just tells about growing up in a he is a black gay man and he he grew up in a very affluent, mostly white neighborhood and school. He talks about the intersection of his homosexuality with his Christian faith. And I mean, it's just all, it's very deep. And at the same time, you just are belly laughing all the way through it. So it's, that's why I, I felt like that about Lawson's book. So I, that's why I felt like our Eric Thomas's here for it or how to save your soul in America was a good pairing. Oh, I love that as a pairing, Sarah. I read that one after Sarah's recommendation. And yes, I, I think so much of that, that Yeah. It's got great overlaps, but it's such an awesome book. Yeah. I still have not read that. I can't believe that. <laughs> I know. I've got to get to it. I gave it to my sister for Christmas, and she messaged me not long after Christmas and was like, I love that book. Aww. I think it, it's a really quick read, too, because it's not, it's fairly slim. It, it mm-hmm. doesn't take long. Okay. We are going to wrap up our discussion with our bookish hearts. Ashley, what is your bookish heart rating? Four bookish hearts for me. Jen, how about you? Five for me. How about you, Sarah? I agree with Ashley. I'm going to go four bookish hearts for me. All right. We are going to end our episode the way we we end every episode. And today we are going to give a book on our current TBR. Ashley, what is a book on your TBR? I want to get back to this series. So I'm going to go with Karina Yan Glazer's The Vanderbeekers and the Hidden Garden. I have talked many times about how much I loved book one, but she has five books out now in that series. And so I'm behind, but really want to lean in on middle grade March this month. And I would love to fit that one in. I still, I still want to read that first one because you've had such high praise for it. I need to. It's so good. And I have, this is number two and I have it sitting on my shelf and I just, and I was excited to get back to it 
in January and wanted to pick it up and I just haven't yet. So I think that's a good one that seems doable. And and I know that I already love the series, which is nice. Yes. Jen, what is yours? Mine is a reread. It's Zora Neale Hurston's Their Eyes Were Watching God. So I am teaching this one and looking forward to diving back into Hurston's amazing novel. If you have not read it, put it at the top of your TBR. It's so good. <laughs> How about you, Sarah? So I'm really in this memoir mode. So mine is Stanley Tucci's Taste My Life Through Food because I both love Stanley Tucci. I love celebrity memoirs and I love food books. So that seems to be a great trifecta (laughs) for me in a book and I need to read it. So that's that one you've got to do on audio. It is so good on audio. He reads it, of course. (laughs) Yes, I plan to get to that very soon. Thank you all again for listening to our episode on Furiously Happy by Jenny Lawson. We can't wait to hear what you think and your thoughts on this book. And we also, again, want to remind you that we have our listener survey that you can access on our website. We would love to get your feedback, and we would really appreciate if you could fill that out. Thanks again for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnabridgedPod or on the web at unabridgedpod.com for ways to support us. To get more involved, you can sign up for our newsletter, join a buddy read, or become an ambassador. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.